Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports. I'm Nathan Roach, subbing in for Brian Berger this week. We've got a fantastic all-star show. It's the best of sports business radio. We're going to play three of some of the best interviews we've had over the last year. In segment two, Pete Carroll, the iconic coach from USC, joined Brian earlier this year and talked about the football program. This is, of course, a very timely interview considering last week we talked about the Coliseum deal that might happen down at USC. You'll want to stick around for uh, this interview. Carroll doesn't do many interviews, and Berger caught up with him in his office down in Southern California. In segment three, Josh Burns, he's the GM of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Spring training is right around the corner, so you'll definitely want to listen to what has been going on down in Phoenix. They've been doing some really cool stuff. And in segment three, one of my favorite interviews from the past year, Mark Steinberg. He's, of course, Tiger Woods' agent, and Tiger had another epic Tiger performance earlier this week. Stick around. You'll want to listen to what Steinberg has to say about how Tiger Woods operates as a brand. Bobby, last weekend, the NBA All-Star Slam Dunk Contest It's been a yawner the last couple years, but I must say that this was one of the best slam dunk contests I have ever seen. What was your favorite dunk of the night? I totally agree with you. And you know what? Finally, some new dunks. Very refreshing. I'm going to go with Dwight Howard, and no, I'm not going the cape. I'm going the ball on the mini rim, grab it, then dunk it. It's kind of a protest dunk. He wanted to raise the hoop to 12 feet. NBA wouldn't let him do it, but it was still a class dunk. Well, I wish I could see him do a dunk on 12 feet. I think he could after seeing him jump through the gym. My favorite dunk was the off the backboard. I think that was bar none the most difficult. Now, Gerald Green of Boston, he had some pretty sweet dunks. He did one with no socks, which I imagine was very difficult. And then, of course, the cupcake dunk, which I think was one of the most innovative dunks I've ever seen in the slam dunk contest. I will be sticking around next year for the dunk contest. And, uh, you know, we also saw a great all-star game. I love seeing high-scoring games like that fantastic all-star game it was great to see the west come back after being down for most of the game come back late take the lead even though they didn't win it it was still a great comeback well i'll be tuned in to next year's all-star game and of course the second part of the season stick around we're coming up with pete carroll on this all-star edition best of sports business radio you're listening of course to sports business radio this is brian berger from sports business radio I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
one-on-one -on -one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is USC head football coach Pete Carroll. So, Coach, you came here in 2000, and when you came to USC, the program was kind of mired in mediocrity. Obviously, you've done some great things to turn it around. When you first came to USC, what was your vision for this program and to get it to where it is today? Well, we were, we were clear in, in the, that there was great potential here. And uh, so I settled on a thought that we wanted to do things better than it's ever been done before. And we thought that we'd hold on to that in everything that we're doing, whether it was recruiting or teaching or coaching or technology, you know, from, from A to Z, do it better than it's ever been done before. And so to do that, you have to, uh, you, you know, you have to be relentless. I mean, you, you can't just do that sometimes. You have to do it all the time. So the central theme in our program, which I think represents what I feel most strongly about, is, is competition. And so we created an air of competition in everything that we were doing and, and uh, that would keep us kind of on a, in a pursuit of uh, a competitive edge, you know, just like relentlessly. And so uh, we've, been, uh, we've been on that ever since. It's been a, a, a great charge for us, and, and it's kept us on track throughout. Now, you pursued this job, and you had coached in the NFL. Why did you want to come back to college, and why did you not choose to stay with an NFL job? Well, the... <laughs> The uh, the college season comes up first in coaching, you know, because the, the games are and the seasons are over earlier. And uh, when a couple opportunities were out there, and you know, I went after them to see if I could you know, generate some interest. And uh, SC was because of Daryl Gross. I had, had some relationships with, uh, with him from back in the days. I was at the Jets, and, uh, and and they were interested. So we started talking, and, and one thing led to another. This is a great program, you know. It's a great school, and all of that. It's, it's one of the best in, in the country, uh, you know, historically. And I'm a California guy, and there aren't very many jobs in California. And uh, as we started to you know, put it together and see what it was all about, it just looked to be a great opportunity. I've always wanted to know someone who sits in your seat. You've coached in the NFL. You've coached in college. We've seen guys like Steve Spurrier and Nick Saban go to the NFL. They've had a difficult time. Charlie Weiss is having a tough time at, at Notre Dame right now. What, what is more difficult, coaching in the NFL or coaching in college, in your opinion? I think coaching in the NFL is much more uh, complicated. I, I, th I think it's the uh, the scrutiny um, that follows you and, and the um, the speed of the uh, the evaluation process is just a high speed, and, and uh, you have no time. And I think the tolerance um, by those that follow you that create the momentum for the pressure and the stress and and the uh, uh, you know just the evaluations uh, is such that you just have to hit it right or you're done. And uh, it's very, very difficult. I mean, just look how many guys have, have been able to sustain. There's very few guys that can maintain the jobs. You know, they, they come and go all the time. And so uh, I think that that causes a lot of problems for you. Uh, if you don't have a quarterback, you're dead. You know, and, and it's, it's some, some really simple issues. And there's not much you can do about it sometimes. Uh, the, the job I found was much more difficult because you had to share the leadership position and, and the philosophical approach to things uh, much more so, which does not at all enhance or behoove it, the, the job that you're trying to do as a leader of a program or the, the so-called so leader of the program. When You have to do it the best way that you can, and if, when you're representing other people and other thoughts, it's very, very challenging. It's very frustrating. So this is different here, and, and it's, much, it's a much cleaner line of uh, uh, leadership and and, uh, and and authority and all of that, and it's made uh, my job way easier and, and much uh, much more fun, and, and I've enjoyed it a great deal more. My guest is USC head football coach Pete Carroll. Coach Carroll, uh, pretend I'm an elite athlete. You're coming into my living room. You're going to be talking to me and my parents. 
what are the two or three things that you're going to tell me to sell me on USC's football program? Well, the the process of recruiting isn't a one-time sit-down. It, it, it takes a long time to get through the information. But there are a, a few elements that, that, that we try to, you know, that we consistently return to. This is an extraordinary university. It's a private institution right here in just the, the hotbed of all that's going on in the world of business for the entire Pacific Rim, one of the tremendous uh, media centers of, of the world. Um, and, and it's got so much visibility in, in what you do and what you can create out of here that it's, it's an extraordinary place to go to school. Um, the, the fact that it's a private school is smaller, and, and you know, 16,000 you know, regular students makes this a small campus setting, yet you're still on, playing on a, on a large you know, uh, BCS level of football. Um, the other part of it is that our football has been very successful, and it's been successful, and uh, in, in it gives you the, the players an opportunity to really exercise everything they would ever want to do in the sport. We've reached the, the heights of, of national championships. We've we've seen our players be recognized nationally with the Heisman's and all of the, the national uh, awards that they can they can you know, can generate. Uh, we've had. Um, an opportunity to do all that, but more importantly than just being able to do it, we've done it over a long period of time, and we've been very successful for for a long haul, which is really you know part of the fabric of this program. And, and I think the the final thing is that um, when you're in our program, you're going to be in a program that is designed to try and create this to be an extraordinary experience for you. I don't want this to just be football, you know, and that's it. And I don't want it to just be academics, and that's it. I want it to be all of that, and then much more with the experience of how we go about the things that we do. If we're not having fun, I'm messing it up. I'm making mistakes. I'm, I'm, I'm not on track. This should be a fun, uh, filled of, of excitement and changes and, and, and new stuff and challenges to, to, uh, to our kids in, in every way, not just on the football field, not just academically, but how they handle themselves and how they deal with the world around them. Uh, so, uh, and then the final thing that, that you know I like to get across is it's not too good to be true. This is really happening. It really is the real deal, and we're doing it for the right reasons and with caring for people and loving them as they go through our program and loving them as they leave and taking care of them throughout. Uh, with I think in a manner that that I know separates us in some degree, and I hope makes it a very very unique experience. You've built a tremendous program here. Uh, what are the two to three uh, core philosophies that you have for leadership? You're a tremendous leader. Well, I, I think it, you have to know where you're going and who you are to do this and, and to do it really well. Um, you know, I need to be really consistent about what I represent as the leader of, the, of this program. And in that, I try to model our kids, to our kids, uh, you know, a really committed, strong, um, all-encompassing belief about who we are and how we do this. Uh, that, that's what's most important. I think when people sense that somebody has a really good feel for who they are and what they're doing, it's easier to listen to them, it's easier to follow them. And then as you build on the successes and you give them the examples of where they can go that are real, real life things, and then they don't question you know, the authority, they don't question the direction. And then they follow and they, they are able to allow themselves to be led. Well, that, that's, that's, I think it comes from a, just a general sense, and I have to do a really good job of staying on task all the time. You know, I just can't ever shut down. I can't ever have a bad day. I can't ever waver from the main line of how we operate and expect them to, to you know, totally commit and be, you know, be thoroughly uh, behind everything that we're doing. So uh, that's with energy. That's with commitment. That's with consistency. That's with uh, making sense to them, doing sensible things. Don't don't throw them curveballs where they don't know what's going on or what's happening, and give them a sense that we're really on course where they don't have to even ever be concerned about that stuff. They just need to excel. You mentioned earlier one of the, the main points to recruit is Los Angeles and all the opportunities that are here. There's no NFL team here. 
And I would imagine because there's no NFL team, maybe you're a little bit more under the microscope than you would be if there was an NFL team. You've been so successful. Um, I think this is an extraordinary community. Uh, yeah, we, have, we, we don't have the professional football team, but we have great professional sports here with the Dodgers and the Lakers and the Angels and all that's going on with the Ducks and everybody. You know, we, we have great fan base. Uh, their expectations are maybe a little bit different than a, a small-town college setting in different states of the, around the country. But uh, we, we have an extraordinary following. We're, we're 92,000 every game. We're selling out the Coliseum for the first time ever last year, you know, for the entire year. Uh, we have the L.A. Times with front-page L.A. Times whenever anything's going on one way or the other. And all, all of that does bring a, a focus that's, that's unique and that's special and that we love that we have this opportunity. You know, if we were getting our butt kicked all the time and weren't doing any good, it would be horrible. But the other side of it, it's awesome that we have this. And, and our entire program benefits from that. You know, we're all over the nation with, with what we're doing. It's not just a local deal. We're, we're a nationwide program that everybody hears about and knows about. Last question. Uh, obviously, you've built something very special here. I know you've had uh, opportunities to go back to the NFL. Is this your dream job, or is there something else out there on the horizon that you'd like to do at some point in your career? Well, I don't. I've thought about it a lot and, and had opportunities to you know, entertain the, the ideas of going. The makeup of this job is so unique for me that that I, I don't see anything ever matching it. So, in my mind, I've settled my mind clearly that I'm staying here and I don't want to go anywhere else. That the the makeup is so clean in that it's you know I'm in charge of all phases of it. I run the whole thing. I don't have to you know defer to anybody to 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 make a choice on what's going on here. As long as we stay out of trouble, we're, we have no problems. And so, uh, that's that's a very clean slate for me. And there's 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 too much ownership. There's too much. Uh, uh, kind of leadership already in existence in other other teams in the NFL that you have to deal with, and, and I don't, I, I don't, I know there's no other situation that matches this. So I'm I'm loving it. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm not going anywhere. I've said the same thing for seven years, and I'll get asked the same questions again at the end of this year, and I won't have any problem answering because I know I know clearly what I'm doing. Coach, congratulations on your success, and thanks for taking some time today. All right, you got it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Josh Burns. He's the GM of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Josh, first, congratulations on the incredible run uh, the Diamondbacks are on right now. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, uh, we've, we've sort of stuck up on a few people, but 
Colorado Rockies certainly know us, so it should be an exciting series. You know, I've got to ask you in your heart of hearts, a lot of people at the beginning of the season talked about the Arizona Diamondbacks, the team of the future, this young, bright, talented team. In your heart of hearts, did you ever think that you'd get to the NLCS this soon? Yeah, I thought we could. And we spent uh, a lot of energy, uh, particularly in spring training, talking uh, amongst ourselves and, and uh, the reasons why we could do this. And as it turns out, with surgeries to Randy Johnson and Chad Tracy and Orlando Hudson, um, I'm not sure I could have predicted this given those uh, health problems, but uh, we found a way. Yeah, and you've flown under the radar. I mean, most people, if you had asked someone to open up the newspaper at the end of the season and said, who has the, who's the team with the best record in the National League? A lot of people wouldn't have guessed the Arizona Diamondbacks. You've done it under the radar. Yeah, I think... Uh, you know, our success and, and, and even the quality of the division uh, maybe was missed. And, and I think even as we we had success, people kind of poked holes in it and talked about run differential. And, and uh, I think uh, those who watched the NLS day-to-day uh, realized how hard the wins were in this division. So uh, I feel especially proud we were able to win the division. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, building of a team. Um, you did this with a $52 million payroll. Jeff Morad was on the show last week, managing partner Arizona Diamondbacks. He talked about the debt that was left over after the Arizona Diamondbacks won the World Series in 2001. There's still debt that's being paid off. You've done this on a shoestring budget. Can you talk a little bit about the philosophies and, I guess, the challenges of having to do this with a payroll that's not the payroll that the Yankees or the Red Sox would be able to have? Well, it's um, obviously uh, some things we've had to prioritize. We, we've done, historically, even preceding my arrival, we've done a very good job with scouting and developing. We've been effective in the draft. We've been effective signing uh, international players, and our development staff's done a good job. Um, when, when in, the, in the last couple of years, we've spent a lot of energy trading um, with a couple things in mind. The one, sort of trying to coordinate some more talent with uh, the young talent. So a guy like Chris Young certainly comes to mind, kind of placing him with the guys already there. And then uh, trying to find starting pitching, um, trying to buy low at times. Eric Burns is a non-tendered player. And, you know, for the most part, we're not going to be involved in, in free agency. I think of the last $2 billion spent on free agents, we've spent about $2 million of that. So... Uh, we're, we're accessing talent in different ways, and uh, again, a lot of it is, is the old-fashioned way. It's just players who uh, have been here uh, their whole careers, and, and you know, more than half our roster is homegrown. And, and uh, a lot of the, the improvement is through evolution rather than sort of a, a big bang move or two. You know, it's interesting to me, Josh, a few years ago, all we heard about was the separation between the big market teams with the big payrolls and the small market teams. We'll look at the remaining four teams. Three of the four teams have payrolls, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in the lower third of baseball's payrolls. That says a lot about uh, the structure of baseball, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's very unusual. Uh, even over the last 10 years, uh, teams in the lower third, you know, maybe one team makes the playoffs but for three of the final four is unusual and I think that you know the game has changed and, and seven of the eight teams this year in the playoffs were not in the playoffs last year uh, you know the new collective bargaining agreement I think makes it a little uh, more possible for all teams to to get in and or turn around turn around fairly quickly like the Tigers from 03 to 06 and um, you know I think through it all is, is sort of some commitment to 
growing your own talent and, and not just to manage payroll, but to, to use the players. And, you know, certainly we've promoted guys like Mark Reynolds and Justin Upton, the Rockies, Obato Jimenez, Franco Morales, and, and even the Yankees and Red Sox in season, you know, did more promoting than trading in order to, to, to finish the job. My guest is Josh Burns. He's the general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Josh, some people are calling these the Josh Burns playoffs. You've had a hand in building the Cleveland Indians. You started there as an intern back in 1994. You moved up the ladder as an assistant GM with the Colorado Rockies. Then you moved on and worked for Theo Epstein with the Boston Red Sox. Pretty remarkable that the final four teams, obviously the Diamondbacks are your team now, all have your imprint on them. Uh, Talk about that if you would. Well, it's it's uh, it's definitely caused a lot of reflection, and uh, you know I, I feel happy for a lot of people. I, obviously, I know uh, the other three organizations very well. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of the players, and, and I'm very happy for them. And, and uh, it's kind of neat. I mean, it's great to to get this far to begin with, but to, to do it against the people uh, I know so well and have, have great relationships with, it's fun. Uh, and, and you know, that being said, I think we're we're, we're determined to try to be the last team standing, so it'll be fun to uh, try to win eight more games. How did you personally decide, hey, I want to be a, a GM or I want to get into baseball management? And obviously you started back in 1994 with the Indians. Well, I, I think even at a young age, it was something I was always interested in. Obviously, I was busy playing baseball and, and uh, uh, going through school, but just sort of the, you know playing Stratomatic and, and, and putting a team together and wheeling and dealing and you know, reading a lot about uh, the sport and the business always intrigued me, even at a young age. And then uh, Ron Shapiro, um, Mark's father, who's a very established agent, a very respected person in the industry, uh, attended my alma mater, Haverford College, and, and he ultimately was the key to me getting in and getting uh, connected with the Indians. And, and uh, uh, I was very fortunate to run into Ron, and he helped me along the way. How often do you talk to some of your counterparts, Theo Epstein, Mark Shapiro, others like that? Quite often. And, you know, uh, this time of year, I think, like, text messages uh, about five minutes after a big win. So I think <laughs> we're, all, we're all watching each other and rooting for each other. And it's a, it's a very fun time of year. And, and uh, uh, you know, very happy for those guys as they continue to win these games. Have you and Theo discussed the possibility of a, a D-backs, Red Sox World Series at all? That's got to come up in conversations, I would imagine. Yeah, I, as it does with, uh, uh, you know, Mark Spiro. And, uh, you know, I spent six years with Mark in Cleveland. So it's, it is. It's very familiar footing right now. And, and obviously the Rockies, uh, we know those guys well, too. And, and uh, you know, we play them every morning in instructional league. So it's, it's, uh, it is kind of eerie and familiar, but uh, it'll be a fun, uh, fun series. And hopefully we can advance and uh, try it in Cleveland or Boston. Let's talk about your team for a minute. I know we talked about him a moment ago, but you've got the core. Stephen Drew, Justin Upton, uh, Chris Young. Then you've got guys like Brandon Webb, uh, Eric Burns, who you mentioned earlier, um, that are kind of more of the seasoned veterans. Talk about this this mix of talent that you've put together. And, um, you know, you go out and get a Doug Davis, uh, Levon Hernandez, guys that other teams didn't want, but now they're thriving in your system. Yeah, I think... um you know, a couple of things. I think we wanted to get as many players in place that we actually could have for a few years and create some stability that way. So that's been important. And then, you know, probably the hardest thing to do is is to get a quality pitching staff in place. And, and I think we, uh, um, you know, we're fortunate to get Doug Davis and LeVon Hernandez and the stability they bring, Brandon Webb, 
uh, is, is starting to get the recognition he deserves as one of the best pitchers in baseball. And and then the things you can do to, to help a pitching staff, um, you know, I think we put a very good defensive team on the field, and, and we put a lot of emphasis on that. And uh, I know Jim Henry of the Cubs remarked that uh, we have three center fielders running around out there, and, and that's what it feels like sometimes. So, um, you know, I think a lot of as much as uh, baseball can be analyzed piece by piece sometimes, I think there is, uh, there is a fabric here. There is a team dynamic, and I think uh, our pieces fit together well. Describe your approach to your negotiations with your players. I mean, you know, I've had Ned Coletti, uh, Kevin Towers on this show before, and, you know, some GMs take a hard-line stance and there's no room for negotiation, and others are a little bit more flexible. What's your approach? Well, you know, I certainly, uh, you know, have a good relationship with our players and, and a very honest relationship, and when it relates to their contracts, sometimes these conversations can be a little more difficult. And, um, you know, in general, I think we're, we're, we're very forthright and honest about um, what we're willing to do and, and how it fits into uh, our payroll model and, and our reasons behind it. And, um, you know, I think that's all we can do is, is explain our rationale and, and, and demonstrate the spirit of fairness. And, and uh, you know, obviously sometimes that works and, and sometimes, uh, you know, players say no, which is their right. So, um, but uh, I think we're, we're very thorough in our process and very open with our, our rationale. One of the tough things about having a young team and young group of guys coming up at the same time is their contracts expire around the same time, and then they get onto their second or third contracts, and that's when they start getting big money. Have you planned for that day, or do you have any concerns that when you know, you're Stephen Drews and uh, Justin Upton's Chris Young's, when their contracts are up and they go for the big payday, you're going to have to pay a lot of guys at one time, or do you not think about that yet? Uh, we think about that, and, and you know, we, we uh, certainly look at least three years out, sometimes longer, and, and you know, certainly emulate the uh, success and challenges of other teams. That when you know a young team breaks through in, in year one, what is the how does the team evolve in the years four, five, and six, and, and the decisions that are out there on the horizon? So we're cognizant of that. Um, we're, we're somewhat staggered with these young players how they progress towards arbitration and free agency, but. As you said, in general, as a group, uh, you know that, that that day is on the horizon where we're, you know, they're going to be on the eve of free agency. My guest is Josh Burns. He's the general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Josh, we've got just a few minutes left. You know, again, we had Jeff Morat on the show last week. He was a sports agent. He's now working with you, managing partner of the Arizona Diamondbacks. What's it like having Jeff in your organization? Someone who used to sit on the other side of the table. Now he's on your side uh, in team management. Thanks, tremendous. I mean, Jeff, you know, first and foremost is very bright, very fair, um, very thorough as, as we go through everything. And I think with that, I think he, with his experience, he understands the, the complexities of our business and what, you know, obviously we're going through, what an agent's going through, what a player's going through. Um, and that none of this is easy as, as we sort of try to make decisions bit by bit that make our organization better. Um, that it, it does require a uh, thorough strategy and, and implementation. So I think um, Jeff understands how hard the business is and, and understands it from a variety of perspectives. I want to talk to you about the economics of baseball for a moment. Last offseason, we saw lots and lots of money thrown at free agents, everyone from Barry Zito to Alfonso Soriano. A-Rod could hit the open market uh, if he opts out of his contract. Do you think we're going to continue to see huge amounts of money thrown at free agents in the future? And if so, what does that do for the economics of uh, baseball? 
I think it's it was sort of an interesting uh, time in the game because I, you know a lot of teams again by virtue of the collective bargaining agreement have probably shown a little bit more wherewithal and willingness to retain their own and uh, obviously it affects free agency it affects supply and demand um, and maybe in the short term leads to some excessive contracts but I think you know we're all reflective and maybe see some contracts that don't work out well so. It's interesting. I think free agency uh, is different than it was five, six, seven years ago. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting if supply and de- demand continues to drive up prices or if, uh, if clubs are a little more hesitant. Yeah, it should be an interesting offseason to watch. Josh, thank you so much. Best of luck in the NLCS. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's a steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest, you go online to mortons.com. Again, Josh, I know you're very busy this week. Thanks so much for making some time. Okay, thanks for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Mark Steinberg. He leads IMG's golf division. He's the agent for pro golfers Tiger Woods and Annika Sorenstam. Mark, Happy New Year, and thanks for joining me. Happy New Year, Brian. Glad to be back. So Tiger Woods continues his assault on the record books. He's within five wins of tying Jack Nicklaus's all-time record of 18 Grand Slam titles. He made nearly $80 million in prize money on the PGA Tour since he turned pro in 1996. He earns close to $100 million a year from endorsements. He even got a $10 million bonus for winning the inaugural FedEx Cup last year. Mark, the bar has been set so high for Tiger. If he doesn't win every time out, we're surprised. Talk to us about the makeup of Tiger Woods and how he's able to meet or surpass these expectations year after year. I think, uh, you know, Tiger has um, Tiger has an uncanny ability to stay in the present. So um, <clears throat> while he's, you know, certainly looking at uh, at Augusta and the Masters in, in April, you know, as long as he competes at the highest level, as long as he does, puts everything he can into every tournament that he plays, um, that's all he ever asks of himself. I want to talk a little bit about Tiger's endorsement deals. He's got deals with Nike, Buick, Gillette, Tag Heuer, EA Sports. He just signed a deal 
with Gatorade. We're going to see Gatorade Tiger coming out in March. When when, when can we expect to see uh, the rollout of ads for Gatorade Tiger? Uh, you'll probably see some, uh, uh, you know, first or second quarter uh, this year. Uh, this is uh, the Gatorade deal was exciting for us. It was the first ever, you know, true uh, pure licensing deal that we did. Gatorade had, had never had an athlete on their uh, on their bottle, and um, we went through some extensive negotiations with them. They are a fabulous company, um, and uh, we're just we're incredibly excited with what the future holds there. You'll see Tiger Gatorade coming out on shelves. Kind of end of February, beginning of March, and um, it's been uh, it's been an exciting run, really an exciting run. So, if I'm one of these companies that I just mentioned, I have a partnership deal with Tiger. How many days a year typically will I have access to him to shoot commercials, promote the brand? You know, as you said, he's a partner in the product, so um, I imagine he's out there at least a few days a year doing interviews and and taking pictures, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, we we we, we create partnerships with these companies. We don't like to think that they're contractual relationships. So, while contractually there's a day or two uh, for Tiger to commit to 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 each company to produce advertising and. Uh, promotion and point of sale, point of purchase. Uh, you know, there's there's also the intangible benefits of you know Tiger uh, being able to, to 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 say hello and entertain you know customers or vendors. Um, you know, inviting them to to, to Tiger's various uh, uh, foundation functions, whether it be the Target World Challenge or AT and T National up in DC, uh, or a you know a charity concert that we have. So we like to think that. That uh, when it comes to when it comes to you know our, our partners around the world, we like to think that we're in a position where we can over deliver for them. You know, I got to tell you, Tiger seems so genuine in his commercials. He's he's a really good actor, and the commercial I enjoyed last year the most was the Buick commercial where he's on the driving range and someone takes his bag and he tackles the guy who took his bag. I've heard from people in the industry, and I want you to clear clarify this or clear it up. Was that scripted? It was not scripted. It was uh, it was uh, it was one of the more uh, entertaining moments that uh, that I can recall uh, with him. I mean, it was it really was all spur of the moment. And uh, uh, needless to say, the um, the actor that was stealing the bag was as surprised as anybody. Yeah, I mean, he totally looked surprised. And, and then I, I was saying on our show, I bet you cringed when you see Tiger lunging out there. I mean, all you need him to do is tear a knee or something like that. And it's uh, it's curtains for his season on the on the golf course. I've learned long ago not to try to control Tiger. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. Probably he does what he wants. My guest is Mark Steinberg. He leads IMG's golf division. He's the agent for Tiger Woods and Annika Sorenstam. Uh, Mark, when I was researching for this interview, I came across a really funny story. In September 1987, Golf Digest introduced its first armchair architect contest, challenging readers to design a hole. First prize was a trip to Bermuda with real architects Pete Dye and Robert Trent Jones. There were 22,000 entrants into this contest. One of them was an 11-year-old Tiger Woods. You had to be 18 to enter the contest, so his father, Earl, submitted his entry. He didn't even make it past the first round. Lo and behold, now we've got Tiger Woods design. People are paying him millions of dollars to design their golf course. Talk about Tiger Woods design for a moment, if you would. Well, it's a little bit more sophisticated than when he was uh, yeah. sitting on his couch uh, drawing <laughs> his first hole in a crayon. But um, he's... Uh, He's, you know, we took uh, a number of years to, to, Tiger took a number of years to, to, to learn not just the business, but to learn what types of golf courses he liked. You know, we were, 
we had offers for him to get into the design business, you know, 10 years ago. And um, he always said, I'm just not ready. I want to I travel the world more. I want to see more golf courses. I want to understand bunkering. I want to understand contour. I really want to understand, you know, what it is, not just, you know, that I like Pebble Beach because of this, uh, but I like it because of the intricacies. And so, um, lo and behold, a, a couple years ago, he had told me he was ready, and um, uh, I have uh, had been in discussions with uh, with a developer in Dubai, and um, uh, we finalized our, our first deal in uh, in Dubai and followed it up with uh, with our first U.S. project at the Cliffs in Carolina, and uh, uh, the business is going well. It, it's not it's not a business where Tiger's going to have you know, six, seven, eight courses under development in any one year at the outset. Uh, he wants to go slow. He wants to make sure he enjoys the business and likes the business. Uh, but to date, it's been uh, it's been an enjoyable process. Well, and it's something he can do when his golf days are over. And, uh, you know, it's kind of leaving a legacy a little bit. You design a course and, uh, you know, people can see it for the next 50, 75 years. That's got to be kind of cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, that's, that's one of the exciting aspects of uh, of the design business. I want to talk about something you alluded to earlier. Tiger hosts two tournaments every year, the AT&T National, that's in July in D.C., then the Target World Challenge in December. By the way, Tiger donates his check from the Target World Challenge to charity. That was about $1.3 million this past December. It's got to be tough to play host and then play in the tournament. He always does well. Most of the time he wins these tournaments. But how much do you and your team at IMG help him with his hosting role at these events? Yeah, you know, and, and there's a third, the Deutsche Bank Championship in Boston, which is one of the one of the three, uh, one of the four playoff events on tour, where his foundation is the is the charitable recipient. Um, I, I think between between uh, between IMG and and really even more the Tiger Woods Foundation, uh, we play a, a, a quite an active role. I've been a board member on uh, at uh, on his foundation board for. For a number of years, and we really do take an active role. Tiger takes an active role. The board, the board members take an active role. Uh, Greg McLaughlin, who's the president of the foundation, takes a, a very active role in, in leading uh, these events. And uh, you know, I think it's I think it's an honor. You talked about you know you talk about um, you know, golf courses and, and the leave behind and the legacy uh, for 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 fans and enthusiasts. I think it's the same with these with these three tournaments with with Target and Deutsche Bank and AT and T. Um, these could be legacy events. You look how long uh, Mr. Palmer has been involved with Bay Hill, and how long uh, Jack Nicklaus has been involved with Memorial. Um, I think you could you, you might see the same thing with Tiger in these three events for for many many years to come. So we have these three events. Obviously, you've got the four Grand Slam events. You know, every tournament out there is crossing their fingers that Tiger Woods decides to play in their event. Is there a criteria that Tiger uses to decide, here's an event I'm going to play in and here's an event I'm not going to play in? Strictly schedule. You know, everybody, you hear a lot of talk that, boy, that golf fit, that golf course fits Tiger's eye. That one doesn't fit Tiger's eye. You know, everybody said, yeah, he can never win at Southern Hills. Look what he did at the U.S. Open there five or six years ago. Sure enough, he goes out at Southern Hills at the PGA Championship and wins. There, there's really no such – does does a course fit an eye better than another? I'm sure. I'm not a good enough golf course to tell you. But, yeah, they tell me that's the case. But that's not a reason to play or not to play. For Tiger, it's strictly scheduling. And, you know, what I had said to you uh, <clears throat> earlier in the interview, uh, that, you know, Tiger gives 100% – Every time he goes out uh, and 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 focuses on the present, 
that's why he has to play a restricted schedule because he he will not show up unless he is absolutely 100% ready to play. And he's got some demands on him that I think others understand they don't have on themselves. It's a it's a little bit more of a strain when he shows up um, with the press, the media, um, the, all the fan support, uh, the corporate uh, the corporate side of it. So he's learned over the years to keep a, a a very balanced schedule. He knows how many he can play in a row. He knows you know that there's at least two, three, four times a year when he needs extended blocks of time to 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 take off. So. Um, I think I think the, the the most important factor when he's looking at his schedule is how it fits in. Yeah, I mean he's a father now too. He's married. His life is different than it was when he started. So I would imagine that's got to play a factor in you know deciding do I play or do I not play. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Elon and Sam have been uh, Sam's been just such a a blessing to them, and uh, Elon and Sam have been great support mechanism for him, and uh, it's. It's a little bit harder for him to, to, to hop on the plane and, and leave Orlando now. So, obviously, Tiger's amazingly diverse golfer, pitch person extraordinaire, golf course designer. He's philanthropic. With all of that being said, is there anything out there right now that the two of you have your eye on that you say, you know, I'd like to do that, and we just haven't gotten around to doing that yet? Absolutely. <laughs> and that's as much as you're going to tell me, isn't it? I'll let you know next time we talk. <laughs> All right. Hopefully, hopefully it won't be too long. Uh, I, we've got just a few minutes left. Let me sure. talk to you about Annika Sorenstam. She's also very diverse. You've really helped her parlay her success onto the course into businesses off the course. I see she's got Annika Academies that are opening up. She's 36 years old. Uh, she had some back trouble last year. What's her future hold? You know, she um, she she's given uh, the commitment to do everything she can to get back to the dominant player in the world in 2008, and from there, uh, we'll see what the future holds. Um, Annika's uh, uh, she's an incredible talent. She's an incredible businesswoman. Um, very very diverse. I think back to I think I started working with Annika in 1993, uh, and I think back to uh, a shy girl from from Sweden who. Um, uh, you know, really was was not interested in the corporate world, was not interested in the sponsorship world. She just really wanted to play golf, and did that for a number of years, and and uh, and developed really developed over time into this into this iconic athlete and businesswoman. And she has her hands in a number of different things, uh, and I'm just I'm I'm proud as hell of her for for all that she's accomplished and all that she stands for. You mentioned that Tiger and Annika correspond pretty regularly. Do you think we'll ever see them collaborate on anything, an event of any kind, or commercials, anything like that? I don't know. It's a good question. Um, they have developed uh, a very good friendship. Uh, they have tremendous amount of respect for one another, and um, you know they've they've played together. We we we, we created a, an event uh, in California that was went on for seven years called the Battle at the Bridges. It was a primetime golf event. And, Annika and Tiger paired together uh, one year. Um, so, uh, I, you know, you never know what the future holds. They're two, uh, two iconic athletes that, that certainly catch the public's eye. Mark, I appreciate you making time. Guest appearing during our Sports End segment, we treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere for the Morton's nearest you. Go online to mortons.com. Mark, thanks so much for making time for us. Best of luck this year and hope to catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Brian. All the best. Thank you. You're yep. listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Welcome back. Real quickly before we wrap up, another major trade this week in the NBA. Jason Kidd goes to the Dallas Mavericks. Bobby, what do you think about this? Jason Kidd on the Mavericks, good move? It's a great move, and it's just another move by a Western Conference team that wants to win the championship this year or next year because their chances are quickly fading. Well, Shaquille O'Neal will have to wait the duration of the rest of the season to see if Shaquille is able to help the Phoenix Suns capture their title this season. I think the Phoenix Suns can pull it off. We'll, we'll have to stick around and see. Well, thanks a lot for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. We, of course, want to thank our guests, Pete Carroll from USC, Josh Burns, the GM of the D-backs, and Mark Steinberg, Tiger Woods' agent. It's always great to listen to those interviews for the first, second, or third time. And I'm sure we'll have them on the show again, so make sure to stay tuned in the future. want to thank our show staff, Brian Berger, Bobby Corser, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris and Doug Zanger, and of course our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw School of Sports Marketing at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Trading. A podcast reminder, go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and click on the podcast page if you miss our show or you just want to hear it again. And also, check out our blog. You can get updated on the latest in sports business, and Bobby's been doing some blogging this week, so check it out. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll see you next week. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs>